2: On the Treaded Podcast. Back out to Smart. Face the pass all the time. Three. Bang! It's Williams. Three. Mops it up to Robert Williams. Shouldn't he go? Taylor Brown. What a go to her. Tatum. Durant the long reach. Tatum crossover. Pull up Jumper.
3: What is up? My name is Jake Eisenberg. Welcome to the Celtics Reddit podcast. And I'm joined by the newly high definition
4: Ben. How are
3: you, mate? Looking good.
4: I'm good, man. Hopefully, the Jays have put in as much work in the offseason as I have on the production of this podcast. <laughs> we can only hope. I'm doing well, man. How are you?
3: I'm good. I'm good. A little little dusty from football Sunday or Monday morning here in Australia, but feeling good. And joined by unfortunately still a Patriots fan, Wayne Spoony. How are you, mate?
0: Dude, I I'm the world's worst Patriots fan. to Be honest with you, and Miami's a house of horrors for them. So yeah. I had chalked this one up as a loss. It's painful to make Tua look so good because I'm out on that dude. But even worse, WVU lost to Kansas at home. So I mean, we're it's a bad bad day in the Spoonie household, man. Like it's dark. Man.
3: <laughs> oh man, yeah, it feels we need, yeah. we need we need the Celtics back ASAP. And we're joined yeah, right. by a special guest. Alex, uh, the head of content, I think, of a Justin Jefferson propaganda company <laughs> at this point. Alex, how's it going, mate? I'm doing
1: well. I'm doing well. Yesterday was a good day to be a Vikings fan. I appreciate y'all having me on.
3: For sure, I appreciate you coming on. Um, yeah, tell the tell the people a little bit about your your fandom because I, I think it can be a little confusing. I tried to do a deep dive myself trying to figure it out, and it was <laughs> it was tricky.
1: Uh, so you know, if you follow me on Twitter, if you uh, watch any of my YouTube videos, then like I cover pretty much every single team like I talk about all sorts of players from whatever team I'm not particularly biased like there's not really any team that I don't make content about but uh, some people think that I'm a a Bucks fan some people think that I'm a Timberwolves fan but the truth is I'm actually uh, I'm actually a Thunder fan Uh, I've been rooting for OKC since they became a franchise or relocated from Seattle so uh, that's the truth
3: <laughs> All right. <laughs> the the hard-hitting truth Thunder fan. Look, I'm they kind of my Western Conference team thanks to Josh Giddy going there. So Hell yeah. Um, Oh yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Um yeah, uh huge huge Giddy enthusiast over here. So um we we can be <laughs> friends over that one. Um oh, but yeah. so we're back for another episode of our Eastern Conference Rivals series and Alex is going to be our resident Bucks expert um this week, so kind of inviting uh the enemy into you know, tonight. Um, so I think we're gonna need to address the the elephant in the room for Bucks fans and um, probably dive into the Eastern Conference semifinal series. Um I'm just gonna play a little clip to get us get us ready for that one.
2: Oh yeah. Oh, Brown's got nine points in the period, nineteen for the game. White Williams, three-pointer. Bang!
4: Grant Williams once again.
2: It's a 16-point lead. Take and make shots. He is not disappointed. After struggling early, kept his foot on the gas pedal, 22 youth points and a big time three. Mark he had missed 12 of his previous 14 threes prior to this afternoon. Now as a playoff
3: Oh, good times. Um have have Bucks fans recovered from the uh, Grant Williams evisceration. I don't want to feel like this is an entrapment. But here we are. <laughs> uh, I mean, from what I can tell, this, uh, I don't have my finger
1: too much on the pulse of, of the Bucks fan base. Um, you know, I, I, inter- I interact with them a fair amount. But uh, from what I can tell, um, this series, it's stung for them to lose. Uh, obviously, they want to win that series. But going into it, obviously, they didn't have Chris Middleton. So that was already a situation that you kind of take a look at and you're like, this is going to be a tough one because that Celtics team. I mean, you look at Giannis and you're like, "This is arguably the best player on the planet right now." Uh, so anything is technically possible. But in the back of their minds, I feel like most Bucks fans, um, including me as you know more of a casual Bucks fan, um, to me it kind of felt like, if we win this series, great. If not, then you know we'll come back next year healthy, retool the roster a little bit. It sucks. You want Giannis to go back to the finals, you know, back to back. It's great for his legacy and all that. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was like, you know. We were going to have a hard time coming out of there with a win without Chris Middleton, not because Chris Middleton is this transformative player or that he's this guy who is just going to absolutely dominate, although he's commonly referred to as the Celtics killer, um, really Without him, it it just puts a lot of pressure on Giannis. He literally had to do everything, and uh, in a series that was as defensively oriented as that one, it's just going to be tough without the spacing that Chris Middleton provided to be able to maximize that team's ability to win games.
3: Yeah, I think I think that if I was a Celtics fan, I would be feeling quite quite similar in that regard. Spoonie, put, how do you, how do you feel about that round two series? Put your put your Milwaukee Bucks kind of get in the mind of a Bucks fan.
0: Uh, every time Giannis was touched, it was a foul. Um, he didn't commit a single <laughs> offensive foul the entire time. Uh, you know, Chris Middleton, we would have won in four uh, if I had to guess. Uh, no, I, I, I definitely I actually think they might have missed Middleton more on the defensive side of the ball, too, because I think Grayson Allen, obviously, he's not nearly as good on offensive Chris M- Middleton, but He could shoot the hell out of the ball. That's about the only reason he's in the NBA. And Middleton's like a legit 6'6", 6'7", multi-positional defender. Um, And you just saw Tatum every, basically every time down the floor, Tatum or Brown were like, get me Grayson Allen, bring that guy over here. And they were trying to find that weak link. And when you have Middleton out there as that two-way guy, uh, you don't have that kind of gaping wound that Tatum and Brown can just pick at endlessly throughout a seven-game series. So I certainly think no Middleton. I, if I was a Bucks fan, I would be yelling that from the rooftops that we would have won <laughs> if Chris Middleton played. That's for damn sure. Uh, I would probably also ignore that you know if Harden and Kyrie were healthy the year before, I'd you know I'd probably pretend that argument doesn't exist too. So uh, that if I was putting my Bucks cap on and. I, used, I You know, I was kind of a, a sneaky Bucks appreciator until this series, actually. <laughs> <laughs> this, turned, this turned me on the fan base.
4: <laughs> yeah, it, ben, this is a a, it was a rivalry creating uh, series, right? It was very gritty. Yeah. Seven games, you know, both teams, especially the Celtics, well, both teams actually, super banged up going into the series, massively banged up coming out of the series. And really, the, the no Time Lord factor is the ultimate counter argument to the no um, Chris Middleton argument because the Celtics during that stretch after the 31st of January or whatever it was with Time Lord anchoring their defense were like one of the best starting lineups I want to say ever certainly in that season and then to, to go into a series against Giannis possibly like not just prime peak Giannis but he might be the prime peak of like human form of humanity ever. He might be the most perfect human being physically we've ever seen. We're going this up is against where Ben starts talking about dimensions. Dimensions, right yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was dancing around the word. Thanks for calling it out, Spooty. Yeah, going going into a series against that guy without our our defensive anchor um, was always going to be tough. So I know that you know people are seeing it off a mountain that uh, you know Chris Middleton was missing from the series. But you know, without Time Lord going into that, that was a huge ask for the Celtics to come out on top. And then for Grant Williams to be the, uh, the slayer of the Bucks, a question back to all of you guys. Like, in terms of role players, like ending a series in a game seven, like a role player being the catalyst for, for a win, it, where does that rank all time? I'm, I'm thinking of like run our test, Lakers oh, 2010, man. which hurts to even think yeah. about. But Grant Williams defeating the Bucks might be one of the best role player defeats of all time. Uh,
0: didn't yeah. I am I may am I might be making this up it might have not have been a series winning but we're, wasn't Houston down like 20 points or something like that and Corey Brewer hit like ten, and Josh Smith, 10, yeah. and Josh Smith yes. hit like yeah. 10 threes or something That's like right. that to come back and win that is like the one I remember like just thinking that is the weirdest fucking shit we've ever seen man. Like yeah. we will never see a performance <laughs> like
4: that again definitely crazy in the Grant Williams absolutely yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> Kelly Olynyk obviously comes to mind as well, oh, game yeah. seven against the Wizards. Um, Alex, I'm, I'm looking at a video that you put together here and it's called, Why is nobody talking about Robert? What Robert Williams is doing for the Celtics March 17th, 2022 with the thumbnail future depoy question mark. Do you think it's fair for Celtics fans to counter the Middleton absence with, I think what Robert Williams played twice, two games in this series and both of which he was pretty limited. Um, yeah, what do you think about? The absence of Robert Williams, because someone who clearly values what he does on the court.
1: You know, it, to me, it comes down to what do each of those guys bring to their team, respectively? Um, you know, how are the Celtics benefiting from having Robert Williams? And how are the Bucks benefiting from having Chris Middleton? Uh, to me, one of the reasons that the Bucks are able to be so successful in a postseason setting, is the dynamic between Chris Middleton and Giannis because Chris Middleton is, you know, he's not this otherworldly shot creator, but he is a he's a pretty effective shot creator for um, kind of more of a role player, like wing type of player. Uh, and the impact that that has for Giannis, Giannis is obviously a player who thrives when you can just put tons and tons of spacing around him. He thrives when he has another guy next to him who demands a lot of defensive attention and Chris Middleton is a player who demands a lot of defensive attention and without that Giannis's game really isn't able to be as effective as it could be if Middleton were in the game you look at the Giannis and Chris Middleton pick and roll it's one of the most efficient uh, play types in the entire NBA I think they were averaging something stupid like one and a half points per possession when they were running the pick and roll between those two, like that's basically a guaranteed like, no. bucket. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah. So, um, and then obviously the defense that Chris Middleton provides, as you guys covered, you know, he's not, you know, maybe you used to be able to make the argument that Chris Middleton was a you know top wing defender in the NBA, but not anymore. But he's still a pretty good wing defender. He's not going to be locking down the best player on the opposing team, but. He is effective enough of a defender that you can get by with him. And he's a significant upgrade from Grayson Allen. Um, and so I look at that and Robert Williams, this is not me trying to trash Robert Williams because you know, I made an entire video about him. I freaking love the guy. I thought you dare. I'm You're so dare. high on Robert Williams, but um, I think in terms of a team's ability to be successful without X player or Y player, I think it's much harder for the bucks to be successful without Chris Middleton than it was for the Celtics to be successful without Robert Williams. And that speaks more to me about how great the Celtics game plan was as a whole, how deep they were, how tight those rotations were and the roles that everyone understood that they needed. I mean, Al Horford was locking guys Mm -hmm. up at 35 years old, just absolutely ridiculous stuff. Uh, so defensively, yes, Robert Williams, massive upgrade. You obviously get the high post playmaking that he offers, um, all of the DHO opportunities that you get with him on the floor. But at the same time, I think the Bucks suffered more as a result of not having Chris Middleton than the Celtics did from not having Robert Williams.
3: Yeah, I think, I think that's a fair assessment, that, but I think it also speaks to how deep the Celtics were kind of going into that playoff run. You take out one of Milton or Drew around Giannis, and it's going to obviously have um, an impact that leads to um, game two of the series where Jalen Brown um, has Grayson Allen falling all over the ground um, throughout the game. Um, Moving on to how we're feeling about the Bucks offseason. Um, do you think there's anything that they maybe should have done that they didn't get done? Obviously, the main addition was Ingalls in the offseason. And this is obviously a very pro ingles show. Um, and, and, um, I don't want to mess up his name, Margin Buchamp, um, 24th overall. Bochamp? Um, Bochamp? Yeah. So, nailed it uh, yeah. well, how do I- oh, there you go <laughs> <laughs> just stay it with confidence, jake. It'll be right <laughs> yeah. Alex take it away
1: uh so you know joe Ingles, um as a thunder fan, Joe Ingles is the paul George killer in twenty uh twenty eighteen i think it was, so um you know i, I can't stand joe Ingles. but uh, no he's 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 a he's a quality player um i think he kind of lost his role, so to speak, in Utah. And then he's kind of been trying to find his footing since then. Um, But I think it's definitely a good addition. I mean, we know he can shoot threes. um, And maybe he's not the most mobile defender in the world, but he's going to give 110%. So I think that's just in a vacuum, it helps. I don't know how much it's going to help, but in terms of just sheer depth, getting players that you know can offer something, Joe Ingles is an upgrade. Now, uh, Bochamp, on the other uh, other hand, um, I saw him at Summer League. I was in Vegas for uh, Summer League, and I got to watch him. He – I don't know how good he's going to be. I'm not saying this guy has, like, future star potential or anything. I'm not going to go that far. But I think he will be a very, very, very quality, at bare minimum, role player. Um, Everything about him, just in terms of his play – uh, screams that he's going to be someone who can play in a playoff rotation and offer, you know, good basketball for a team that actually wants to win a championship. And then also just his his background is really interesting. I don't know how much research you guys have done about his background, but he comes from um, yeah. Man. Uh, he's had a rough go of it, and he yeah. is uh, he's a really inspiring story. And I think just all of that. You look at players like that who have gone through some of the stuff that he's gone through. And it's really hard to see a player like that who has had to deal with as much adversity as he has, and and uh, not be high on him and think that if he's overcome that, then he can find himself a spot in the NBA and contribute at a high
0: level. So,
3: yes, yeah, uh yeah, go for it.
0: Oh, I was just gonna say, um, I think having Middleton and more importantly Giannis, uh, lesser so, Drew sort of brings like the level of your role play. Like they have to do less to be positive players when you've got guys like Giannis who just get so much off defensive attention on offense and are so damn good on defense that they can cover up a lot of issues. So uh, what do you see from like Beauchamp? What what are his strengths uh, that you think makes him a valuable player? Um, I really think it's just going to be his ability,
1: you know, anytime you're picking a guy between 20 and 30, you're not right, picking a sure. guy that you think is going to be a star player. At that point, you're typically drafting for like day one contribution. And I think he's the type of player that's going to be able to offer that. Um, defensively, he has, you know, very high motor. Um, he's a very solid athlete, uh, solid shooter from what I saw at, at Summer League. Um, he just seems like a guy that you can pop into a lineup with Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton and Giannis. And, He's not going to hinder them in any way. You know, he may struggle on his own, but he's not going to bring the floor of that team down by being out there. So he offers just the complimentary things that you want from a guy in a lineup next to those three. You know, shoot the ball, play defense. And that is really, in terms of any role player that they're getting at this point, any player that they're looking to put around these guys is literally just shoot the ball make good cuts, play defense. And I think he'll be able to do that
0: effectively. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, sorry, go ahead, Jake. I keep cutting you off. No, no,
3: no, (laughs) go for it. Go go for it. I feel feel like this is your wheelhouse, this, this segment right here anyway. And I feel like especially, um, Knowing your thoughts on thirty-four-year-old guys that can't play defense anymore, and how you felt <laughs> about Gallinari, etc. This is Probably think yeah. um, as a and, and, and and <laughs> slightly
0: older than thirty-four-year-old man. Yeah, <laughs> no, I think, I think uh, we've got Z Gamer in the chat here. Thanks for stopping by, Z Gamer, as you often do. Uh, I I think I agree with him that is there any skepticism, Alex, that you have about Ingles and his ability to be a positive? I mean. He did, he looked pretty old on Utah. I uh, I mean is there a compromised position where th- you think maybe he's going to be a positive offensively and negative defensively? Does that impact his ability to play in the playoffs, you think? So, I think if you're if you're looking at Joe Ingles and your expectation
1: is he's going to be, you know, starting on the wing or he's going to be like your sixth or seventh man, to me that's very wishful thinking. I think he is a guy that you can throw out there in the postseason if some guy is just giving you absolute fits and you need to stop somebody. Yeah. Throw Joe Ingles out there for 15 minutes for two games out of an entire series, and he'll he'll hustle his butt off. Maybe he'll be able to clamp someone up like he did Paul George. <laughs> to me, that's kind of the benefit with Joe Ingles is he's not going to be a 20-plus minute per game guy. He's maybe not sure. even going to be like a 15-minute per game guy but if you are really struggling in the postseason and you need to try something you need to change something you need to throw someone out there to just do something different to me that's what he what he offers can he go out there and get hot for a night can he go out there and just play ridiculous lockdown defense for a night to me that's the appeal with Joe Ingles it's a very low risk medium to high reward kind of player
4: Sticking with expectations for the upcoming season, I think the over-under for the Bucks is 53.5. And for reference, the over-under for the Celtics last time I checked was 54.5. Where do those over-unders sit with you, Alex, in your expectations, particularly for the Bucks season coming up this season?
1: Um, for the Celtics, I'm taking the over on that personally. Um, I, think yeah. this, I think the Celtics are going to be... <laughs> You hey, stay. <laughs> that, that's the thing like i'm a i'm a bucks fan but also you know the celtics wayne i know you follow me on twitter you see i I was yeah. a big proponent of the celtics last year i mean i was predicting them going to the finals back in like i think february or something like that yeah um,
0: so like, <laughs> you I, I, that when i started following you
1: <laughs> <laughs> i'm i'm real high on the celtics I, I mean i'm smashing the over on that personally um and then for the bucks you know, to me, they're in an interesting spot because they're not really, you know what they're capable of. They're not really a team that you're looking at and you're like, they need to prove themselves during the regular season. Right. Or they need to go out there and like, you know, kick butt the entire year. They have to focus on making their core work. Like we know Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton and Giannis works. We know how effective that is. Right. So to me, I'm not saying they coast through the regular season, but I definitely don't think it's going to be a priority that they're going out there and winning, you know, 55 58 60 wins this year so if for some reason it it rolled around to the end of the year and they're sitting at like 51 52 to me i'm like yeah they probably just sat drew or sat chris or sat Giannis for a chunk of the season just to you know if Giannis is making an mvp run it's a little bit of a different story but uh to me if they're under that i'm not going to be surprised and obviously injuries and stuff are something to take into account. But yeah, if they're under that, I'm going to be like, yeah, I'm not surprised.
3: Yeah. I, I think that the regular season for the bucks after you've won a title is irrelevant after what we've seen from them over the past couple of years. And expectation wise, it's all about obviously how many titles can you win with Giannis in his prime. And right. I think anything, anything short of that is going to be going to be disappointing. Um, Ben, what are, you, what are your kind of feelings on how Bucs fans should be feeling about expectations going into this year? I
4: think expectations can reasonably be very high when you have Giannis Antetokounmpo um, backed <laughs> up by Drew Holiday.
2: <laughs> I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's,
4: it's Occam's razor. Like He is, like I said, maybe the peak of humanity physically, and he's also very good at basketball and seems to be improving his shot from the free throw line, from three. Obviously, hit that. I think at least one clutch three in Game Five. That heartbreaking Game Five, mm. at least for the Celtics last year. Uh, he is a, a very physically uh, talented player who is increasing his actual basketball skill set on a regular basis. So with that alone, I'm not saying anything new here, but I think expectations uh, can be high. Add to that the disappointing end to last season. You know, we know that Giannis has overcome. Um, a lot of tumultuous things in his life up until this point, and you can only imagine the way that he and the team are going to bounce back as a result. So 53.5, I think, is set healthily, as they of- often are, these over-unders, given the risk mm. for injury, like Alex alluded to. But, you know, it's interesting. The fans and, and pundits alike, will- they'll rank the Celtics and the Bucks in that sort of tier one as far as threats to win the East this upcoming season. As a Celtics fan and as probably a a very biased Celtics fan, I have a very, very (laughs) healthy fear of the Bucs. I I kind of still see them, I'm I'm sorry to say, as a tier above the Celtics, just based on that that really, really high MVP caliber top-end talent. So I'd be maybe taking over on the Bucs as well, despite the potential injury risk there.
3: Yeah, I I can also just kind of see Giannis... Continuing to tear everyone apart and not slowing down, like watching him play yeah. for Greece in oh Eurobasket right now. It's <laughs> he doesn't have an he doesn't have an off button, dude. It's just yeah. when's when's the next time I can get on the court and drop 40, 12, and nine and just destroy you on the other end. Like it's absolutely absurd, yeah. Spoonie, You've it's, been catching some of that.
4: Uh, yeah, well, oh, here sorry, and there. Man, I, I, okay. I think, no, 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 no. I was just, just gonna say it's it's almost not fair that he's playing in that competition.
0: Yeah, and then you see, like, Lucas, like, chuffing cigarettes and, like, eating Italian (laughs) dinner and stuff. Drinking BBs, yeah. (laughs) It's like the the comparison of those two young stars is just hilarious. There's two ways to go about your business, man.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So before we move on, we have a message from a Very special. (laughs) Smooth Sack Summer is slowly coming to an
4: end, fellas, and if you haven't been scaping for the summer sun, it's not too late to sweep your sack of those pesky pubes. As summer comes to an end and we enter fall... Or autumn in Australia. Keep your boys clean and fresh just in time for Fresh Ball Fall. The leader in below-the-waist grooming is here to make sure your pubes feel smoother than a beach ball and smell fresher than your girl's pumpkin spice. Start the new season the right way and join over 6 million men, myself included, worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free shipping with the code CRPOD, CR as in Celtic Reddit Pod, at manscaped.com. I know for me, countless times, whenever I've attempted to put in the effort to tidy up down there using non-Manscaped products, there's always been this feeling of risk. And then sometimes that has actually eventuated in some very painful experiences. But with Manscaped, the confidence factor is extremely high. The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 has everything you need to keep your sweet, sweet sack in check. Inside this package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear, Nose, and Hair Trimmer, which unfortunately I'm having to use more and more as I age. I'm serious. Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, which I should be using more. Crop Reviver Toner. Performance Boxer Briefs, which are extremely comfortable. And a travel bag to hold all of your goodies, all of the above. Their Lawn Mower 4.0 trimmer features a cutting edge. Don't be alarmed by the term cutting edge. Ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawn Mower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor a new multi-function on-off switch that can engage a travel lock and gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Also, did I mention the trimmer is waterproof as well? So whether you're hopping in the shower or hitting up the lake, this razor will devour even the strongest pubes. Now that your sack is smooth, lather up with Manscaped liquid formulations to get that fresh bowl full freshness. The Crop Preserver ball deodorant to stay cool in the heat. Their soothing aloe vera formula is the best of the business for below-the-waist freshness. And the clear drying formula keeps your sack looking and smelling good. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their performance package 4.0. The Manscaped boxes and the shed travel bag that'll bring your comfort to another level at home and on the go. Keep yourself groomed from head to toe with their Shears 2.0. A luxury nail grooming kit. This kit includes stainless steel, nail cutters, tweezers, and grooming scissors. With the performance package, your balls will be ready to impress but make sure you cover the rest with the shears 2.0. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code CRPOD, as in Celtics Reddit pod, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off your entire order, plus free shipping anywhere in the world with the code CRPOD at manscaped.com. Keep things smooth and fresh, as we say, sayonara to smooth ball summer and enter fresh ball fall. All right, back with the pod here. And Alex, (laughs) I've got a question for you. Yeah, recorded that about five minutes before we went live. i love it it was great (laughs) it's our sponsor baby (laughs) that's a very loyal sponsor they've been with us for uh almost six months now alex um jason tatum you know i would maybe peaked you might say as far as the playoffs are concerned in game six against the bucks um had an up and down series against the heat and then has been criticized post nba finals you might say rightfully so What are your thoughts from the sort of outside perspective on on Jason Tatum and his finals performance relative to what we've seen from his career so far?
1: So I'm going to say this, and I know there are people who will get mad at me for saying this. I know Celtics fans won't because I know Celtics fans agree with me. Jason Tatum was clearly injured. I do not care what anyone says. Jason Tatum was visibly injured throughout the entire finals run at least not finals run, final series sure. at the very least potentially before that but you know he nor Jason Tatum is normally a very good finisher and like he was missing wide open layups and if you saw he, he was grabbing his shoulder really often throughout that entire series and uh you know, it's hard for me to knock a guy for that. I know everyone's like, you know, LeBron shows up to a post-game press conference with a with a cast on his hand after, after losing in the finals. And it's like, oh my gosh, he wasn't actually injured. Shut up. And, you know, <laughs> people are like, oh, all these injuries always show up after someone loses yeah. in the playoffs. So it's like, shut up. Like, if you watched the series, it was very easy to tell that Jason Tatum was injured. And to me, the thing that makes me not concerned at all for him going forward and convinces me that this was like an unusual occurrence that was impacted by outside factors like an injury is the fact that he shot like i forget what the final numbers were but he shot like 41 percent from three like just he absolutely lit it up and i'm like how can you watch that and see the finishing struggles that he had like yeah that 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 sucks it, it could it have potentially won them that final series yes but also at the same time it's like he was probably dealing with someone i forget there was a report that came out i forget exactly what the injury was but they were like he had a fracture or something like that And i was like yeah, yeah i mean when you're dealing with something like that it's going to be hard to play basketball at the highest level so i'm not worried about him at all i still think he's one of he's one
3: of the 15 Ooh.
1: best players in the NBA, maybe one of the 10 best players in the NBA. It's like, just from one series, you can't write a guy off because of that, especially with the, yeah, wrist fracture. That's what it was. So, yeah. I mean, how are you going to finish at the rim well when your wrist is literally fractured? So
3: Yeah, Spoonie, I think we've kind of covered um, Tatum struggles, mental fatigue, things of that nature, and people have kind of gone back and forth on whether it was just a bad series or not. But you're not, you're not worried about tatum's ability to win at the highest level right
0: fuck no not even a little bit (laughs) you know what actually i think probably the most impressive thing about tatum is he led that final series in assists in a series with draymond green who has averaged almost double digit assists before and obviously steph curry so i think that's an underrated piece of what Uh, He showed in those finals, like even though he was having trouble, if he didn't have trouble finishing, he would have averaged like an efficient 32 and seven and seven or something like that, which is like some peak LeBron shit in the finals. So yeah, obviously I agree with everything Alex said. That was like taking the words out of all, I think all Celtics fans mouths, man. And like, it's, it's frustrating because it seems like, he was so close to putting it all together in that final series. And he just didn't Um, especially, you know, Ben and I were in the building for game three and like, I was, I was drunk on happiness and hope after (laughs) that man. And it all came crashing down. So no, I, 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 if anything, I'm encouraged. If that's the performance he puts on with a wrist fracture and a bum shoulder.
3: Yeah. Ben,
4: yeah, I mean, I don't think I can add anything to what has been said already. Only that, you know, it's his age 24 season, and it's yeah. not the worst thing now that it's all said and done that he kind of quote unquote flamed out, you know, in a six game final series against, you know, one of the best teams of all times, a dynastic team in, you know, in Curry and Draymond and Clay, coached by Steve Kerr. It hurt at the time. Now, looking back in hindsight, it, it hopefully just feels like a stepping stone as part of the trajectory of his career. And Jake, you made a video recently that I'm in the process of editing. We haven't posted it yet, talking about Mm -hmm. off-season improvements that Tatum can make. And I don't want to give too much away about that video, but we we sort of use Steph Curry's own uh, career trajectory as a reference point for that. And looking at that, looking through that lens, Tatum's career, where he's at now, based on what he's achieved and what he likely will achieve in the future, he's actually at a really good point, a really healthy point in his career. So... That sucked. And I, w- I was in the building for game four. I was actually quite <laughs> close to the Warriors bench True. and uh, drunk on happiness is not uh, a term that I would use. <laughs> drunk on alcohol after the game through commiseration is a term that I would use for sure. Um, but yeah, not, not so good game four. But looking forward to seeing what our Tatum can produce uh, as soon as game one of the preseason. I, I cannot wait.
3: Yeah. And going through that video, I might post like a Twitter thread about it, but there's, there's just a bunch of lefty layups that I have just no chance of going in. And at one point Tatum tries to like do this flicking thing with his left wrist. Like clearly he just can't finish with his left hand through that series. And so it's like, if he was able to make layups, he would have, they would have maybe just won the finals. So it's, kind of is potentially as simple as that. Um, and I want to tie this where you mentioned Steph Curry at age 24, um, but Giannis at age 24, his first MVP season, was taking a lot of criticism um, at the time as well. And I want, kind of wanted to um, talk about the growth of, of Giannis compared to Tatum and what we've seen in the last couple of years. And I've got a little clip from the archives to show us.
2: You're wrong he's not better than LeBron James um, first of all he's got to work on his perimeter shot which I've continued to tell you um, I'm not going to sit up there and rave about his free throw shooting because LeBron is not great at the free throw line but the ability to make people around him better he does not compare to LeBron now you've given him credit about being able to pass and he's not a, he's not a bad pass at all he's a good passer but you said he's a great passer I don't agree with that Okay, that's number one number two Again, we've seen what can happen to him when you wall off his ability to get into the lane and you force him to turn into somewhat of a perimeter player. He's incredibly, incredibly lacking. I'm not saying that Giannis isn't great because there's so many great elements that he brings to the equation and he deserves credit, but we also have to make up our mind about something here. We recognize...
3: All right. The King, Stephen A., He's giving us his thoughts here. Um, But yeah, this was a legit thing kind of, you know, around the bubble and after the Toronto series about Giannis and can he get over the hump, yada, yada, yada. And I think smart basketball people like the four of us here um, kind of always believed in Giannis's ability to keep getting better. Um, But Alex, what did did you see from kind of that, you know, age 24, Giannis' first MVP season um, to two years later uh, winning the championship?
1: Yeah. You know, so many criticisms that, that people have had about Giannis over the years. You know, the three-point shot is obviously something that you can criticize. Giannis may never get a, th- a perimeter shot. If he doesn't, he's still one of That's okay. the best players in the world, if not the best. Like, it doesn't matter. Giannis doesn't need a three-point shot to be the best player in the world. We know that at this point. The idea that Giannis is, he's hes a good passer, but he's not a great passer. I think at that at this point, you can't look at what Giannis does and say that he's not a great passer. Giannis is a great passer. There's no, there's no way around it at this point, point. And, and the growth that he's exhibited uh, over the past, you know, three years now—it's one of the most meteoric rises we've ever seen in the history of the NBA. Uh, to me, it's like, what's the ceiling at this point? Like, if he comes, if he comes out, now, he almost averaged thirty this year. Uh, yeah. It's like if he comes out next year and he's averaging 32 points per game, 33 points per game, the crazy thing is he he did all of that last year in like 32, 33 minutes a game. It's like this dude's not even playing a full load. He's playing right. less than 36 minutes a game for the entire season, and then even sometimes in the playoffs, depending on if Mike Budenholzer has a has a, <laughs> his head up his ass, it's like, well, <laughs> yeah, it's like if he's doing this on 32 minutes per game and he's still getting better, then – I mean, I'm terrified to see what Giannis is doing when he's, you know, 29. Whew. <laughs> There's no yeah, talent. And, and
3: I, it's crazy, um, and I think he's obviously someone that is going to whatever the ceiling is, he's going to get there. Um, I think just like him and Bucamp are going to get on perfectly. Like I think that the, <laughs> that kind of that kind of mentality fits perfectly on the Bucks. And um, but yeah, it, I think that yeah, shockingly, players that are age 24 years old. Um, can still get significantly better. They go from like, oh, this is exciting. People trying to maybe push them into top five, whatever. Um, but the reality is, they haven't really scratched the surface of what they're truly going to become. And Yannis Gian- is even not even twenty seven yet. Is that right? Or is he twenty seven yeah, now? You, but like something. I think he might be twenty seven.
4: Exactly.
0: Yeah.
3: Just, just you know, smack bang about to continue to, to rip us all apart, Spoony.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So first of all, I think Stephen A. plays an incredibly valuable po- part in society in that <laughs> if you if you agree with something he says, you know you need to look at yourself and really figure out whether <laughs> or not you're gone off the cliff, right? So um, it's really dumb to compare LeBron's playmaking and passing to anyone because it's basically him and Bird as passing forwards. Like, oh you, no, shit, Giannis isn't as good of a passer as LeBron. Like. Nobody is, but he is also an incredibly good passer, an elite playmaker because of partly how much attention he grabs from the defense. Um, So, I mean, LeBron doesn't play defense like we we haven't even really talked about Giannis is like a DPOY guy every single year too. like that matters. So. Uh, Yeah, I, I think he's just so mature. I think the biggest thing for him where I was like, oh, this dude is going to dominate the league. Uh, Was it uh, game six against Phoenix where he went like 20 of 21 or 20 of 20 from the yeah. line? Yeah. And uh, the free throw line has been a bugaboo for him his entire career. And then he just like slayed that dragon to win a ring. And, you know, uh, as a Celtics fan, I'm like, ah, shit. Yeah.
4: <laughs> so, That's it's bad, like, well, That's bad miss, for us. No,
0: uh, <laughs> uh, Yeah. So he's just a monster. He's going to, I I think, Ben, it might have been you who said, like, I see the Bucs is a step above the Celtics next year. I still, uh, yeah, I totally feel that way too. And it's really because of Giannis.
4: Yeah. Like, it's so much for what the Celtics next season looks like is like, can Jason Tatum get better? Can Grant Williams get better? We're essentially running it back. And especially now with Gallinari out, you know, the exception is Brogdon, who we're bringing in, who we'll get to in a second. Essentially, as a team, we're running it back, and and everyone needs to improve tenfold. I think for us to to get up against a healthy Bucks, and you know, Giannis doesn't need to really improve. He just needs to come back and be the guy that he's been for the last couple of seasons. And for Giannis, like if you're winning MVP and Depoy in the same year, then you are dominating on a Michael Jordan level, and he's still at that level of a player. Uh, and him oh, yeah. with a, a healthy team. With an amazing Aussie in Joe Ingles, um, that that combination <laughs> uh, strikes fear in my heart. So we really, really need uh, Tatum and all of our best guys. To, look, really, they were great. They made the finals. They need to be better, I think, to get up against this Bucks team. So uh, very concerned. But uh, Alex, I guess to segue a little bit here, I I almost had a segue going there perfectly. What do you think of the Celtics <laughs> offseason additions? Um, Gallinari, obviously, is a moot point now, given that he probably won't be contributing to any team on a basketball court for at least the next year. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, I think, who I just talked a second ago about the Celtics making the finals, they've now added a former 50-40-90 guy in Malcolm Brogdon, adding a little bit to their depth there. How do you feel about that as an opposing team fan, as far as the Celtics being a threat in the East this season?
1: So uh, one thing that I preach a lot is like this idea of flexibility in the postseason. Like you have to have flexibility. You have to be able to play play different lineups and match up against different teams. And the Celtics, I think like have flexibility, but they lacked like that next level of flexibility to where they could kind of like, Oh, you know, we need to reach a little deeper. We need to try something different here and, and maybe try this guy off the bench or maybe run a lineup with these guys instead of these guys. Cause they had good depth, but they were running a pretty tight rotation Yes, and being able to reach like a little bit deeper and going from, you know, eight man rotation to let's try a nine man rotation. Let's change things up a little bit. I think Brogdon really brings that to the table. I think from what I've read so far, like the plan is to bring Brogdon off the bench as the sixth man um, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, or even if he starts, it's like, this is just a different thing that they can try. you know, maybe they go Brogdon, smart, Jalen Brown, Tatum, and Horford, and they run that and see how that goes, or maybe they you know smart Jalen brown tatum, uh Grant Williams and horford uh, R- or Rob or you know any number of different combinations they can do so much differently now because of one player, and that's Brogdon. It's just it opens up so many different opportunities. And I think one big thing that I know Celtics fans have harped on for years, they're like, oh, we need like a a true playmaker. We need like a a passer, a guy who is just going to facilitate offense. And I think Smart has made some really, really meaningful strides as a passer. I think he's an incredibly underrated passer now. But I don't think he's as much of like a pass first guy as Brogdon. And that's what really excites me about Brogdon is Brogdon's not really going to be a guy who goes out there and like is trying to get points. Uh, I think he can. I think he's capable of that. There could be nights where Brogdon has 25 points, 30 points. You know, it's definitely possible, but that's not his priority when he goes out there. He's not going to get tunnel vision trying to score the basketball. And that's what's exciting to me is just having a guy who is out there who knows like, okay, my job is to get the ball into Jason Tatum. Jalen Browns, Rob Williams on lobs, Al Horford in the corner. Find these guys, get them the ball where they're open so they can make shots. And that's why I really am excited about what Brogdon's gonna to bring to the table.
3: Yeah, look, as someone that's owned 2K for the past uh three days, the, the lineup stuff you can do with um with, with Brogdon out there is is crazy. Just just the he's he's basically Derek White, but one of like an incredibly good shooter. And we have um, Ebreen or Ibreen in the, in the comments talking about how maybe White's able to hit a shot next season. Um, I don't even think Derek White needs to hit any shots um, to be effective. We kind of saw, saw that, but um, Brogdon is an elite shooter, you know, in, in general. And so being able to play one of my favorite lineups, that was Derek, Marcus, Jalen, Jason, and one of Rob or Al, you replaced Derek with Brogdon, I think that's just gonna be a late you can't you can't you can't crash in on Jalen and Jason nearly as much as you would be usually. And I think that's gonna have, have a significant impact on their ability to just score a lot of points, obviously.
0: <laughs> yeah, it it's almost like we could go to the bench for a lot of defensive answers, but if the offense was sputtering we just had no, it's like, I don't know, throw Grant out there, see if he yeah. can shoot. I, I mean, that was really it because I, Pritchard was really the answer. Like if we wanted to juice the offense from the bench and, uh, Brogdon's just maybe, maybe a little bit better than Peyton Pritchard.
4: <laughs> Former uh, all-star, like, no, that- how can Brogdon? <laughs> yeah, could, could All right, be a little. <laughs> <laughs> For now. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jake.
3: Oh, no, um... Yeah, I, look if you if you watch Game Two of Peyton Pritchard's highlights against the Nets, uh, you might you might convince yeah. yourself otherwise, which <laughs> I will talk about until the next time Peyton Pritchard takes over a fourth quarter in a playoff game. It's gonna um, be a thirty for 30 yeah. one day.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Man, he's putting out some insanely insanely juicy offseason content. Just getting buckets on on all kinds of NBA players as well on OK um, most
0: of Oklahoma City. I don't know if you yeah,
3: saw that, yeah. Alex. Yeah, oh
2: yeah.
0: yeah.
3: No, those have been some fun, uh, fun clips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did see him torching our guy Giddy. Going to have to improve that lateral quickness a little bit if you can't hang with uh, Peyton Pritchard. Yeah, Um, but yeah. So, well, moving on to projecting forward. um, I think most people um, are expecting or. Hoping for a Bucks Celtics conference finals. I think getting a rematch of the second round, even if it's not the conference finals, sometime in the playoffs. Um so uh, and everybody's healthy and we can go, we can have no excuses for either side this year, um, which would be awesome. Um, but yeah, Alex, do you do you have confidence in the Bucs' ability to to win that series? Um, I do I do feel that after that series, while obviously they didn't have Milton, it showed a few of their their warts about what comes after those guys? Um, you know, Middleton's thirty-one, Holiday's thirty-two, Ingles is thirty-four, Lopez is thirty-four, West Matthews is thirty-five, Grayson Allen's slow. Um, yeah, what do you think about the a potential series next year?
1: Yeah, I think uh, what it really comes down to for me is like we know what Giannis is capable of, we know what Chris Middleton brings to the table, we know what Drew Holiday brings to the table, and then their their depth. You know, the guys outside of those three uh there's obviously the question of does drew start to get worse as he gets older does chris start to get worse as he gets older Giannis is just going to keep getting better to me the question in a potential matchup between the celtics and the bucks comes down to how much better does jason tatum get because he's obviously like depending on who you ask top 10 fringe top 10 at the very least for most people at this point um if he takes a step to being you know fringe top five, maybe solidly top five, then it starts getting interesting because then that series to me isn't as much as a, of a toss up because the impact that you know having the best player on the world in the world on your team can have when the team you're going up against is like you know top ten guy and then you know really good players around him, you know all star player and Jalen Brown, but then after that it's like you know less marquee talent um but if jason tatum takes a leap to become a top five player then it becomes a lot more interesting because then it's not just then it's not just uh jason tatum out there with you know very very good players and Giannis being the best player in the world it's like he can mitigate that impact then it gets a lot more interesting if jason tatum is like oh he's like possibly one of five Best players in the entire league. So that's what it comes down to for me. I think that series, even with Chris Middleton, that series doesn't go less than six games. I'd be amazed if that series was like a four and out or a five and out. That series to me is like will always be highly contested simply because Boston is a very good team with very, very good players with a solid eight to nine man rotation. It's hard to get rid of that team quickly and when you have a team like that and a coach like the Celtics have anything can happen. So I'd be wrong to try and make a prediction where I'm like, you know, the Bucs walk <laughs> out of there easily or the Celtics get absolutely destroyed because I just don't see that happening. I'd be crazy to think that.
4: That's actually really comforting to hear like uh, from someone like <laughs> yourself Alex who is is Celtics neutral. Uh, to hear that it would at least stand a chance um, at, at having a competitive series, if not winning a series against the Bucks, um, it's something that gives me great anxiety. Uh, which again, I've said this all the time. Just goes to show how comfortable a life I live. That like this causes me genuine anxiety in my life day um, to day. But to hear that you know the Celtics could go in um, at least a, you know toe to toe favorite with the Bucks uh, in that series uh, is very comforting. I do have to ask though. You know, One of the highlights for Celtics fans in the, the Eastern Conference semifinal series last year was, and I, I'm sorry to say this, but it was a highlight, a personal highlight, is <laughs> Al Horford driving by Giannis, dunking the ball, and then bringing the elbow down. Was it on purpose? <laughs> was it inadvertent? Who's to say? Certainly not me. But it was it was a peak uh, moment for Celtics fans in that series. Is there a sense from Bucks fans that you know... Um, or from your interacting with the Bucks fans online, is there a sense of wanting to get revenge against Al Horford for that moment?
1: Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure there is. Uh, fortunately for me, I'm a huge Al Horford fan. I absolutely love the guy. Um, So I'm not like, oh, they need to go out there and, you know, poster him on every possession. But uh, yeah, there's definitely, I mean, I don't want to say there's bad blood. I think it's like healthy animosity mm. towards the Celtics to where it's like, yeah, We want to get revenge on them. We want to do everything that they did to us in this past series and more, uh, which I think is totally fair. I think that's, you know, this is a healthy, healthy rivalry because it's not one that's based on like, you know, with the Rockets and OKC. uh, It was something where like Patrick Beverly took out Russell Westbrook's knee in the playoffs and, you know, potentially cost them a championship. Uh, you know, that rivalry is based on bad blood where it's like, we don't like you. Like we do not like your team. We don't like that. James Harden isn't on our team anymore. We don't like that. The front office, let him go, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that's a rivalry to me that is based on true animosity and like disdain for the opposing team. But with the Celtics and the Bucks, I'm sure it's like, yeah, we want to, we want to get revenge on him. We want to beat him. And to me, that's totally fine. I think that's good. I think sports need that. Uh, but I'm sure in the back of every Celtics or uh, Bucks fan's mind, when they're watching a potential playoff matchup between the Celtics and the Bucks next year, they're like, "Yeah, I hope Giannis dunks it on Horford's head," <laughs> and he probably
0: will. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, multiple times. Hey, it's gotta, it's <laughs> that just
1: happen. means Al Horford's playing defense, and <laughs> that's right. Day, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. what
0: you want. The
1: Baines I, method.
3: I actually. I do think that the Celtics and the Bucks have the potential to be um, kind of like a an era in dynasty in the in the Eastern Conference. Like that was already the third time they've played each other in the in the Jays and Giannis era. Um, Celtics up two one, obviously in the series of, <laughs> of series so far. <laughs> so far. Um, but I, and I and I think that's a great point. Like the the rivalry is 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 Bit more pure at least for the for the players like I think there's a lot of respect and I think that speaks to the types of people that are leading both teams like Giannis is one of my favorite interviews to watch throughout I love watching post-game interviews in the playoffs in general but Giannis has such perspective on on life in general um, it almost doesn't like fit his uh, mentality on the court sometimes because people want him to kind of come out and Slander the other team, or yell or scream, but he kind of just talks about how life's good. I'm grateful to be here, and we're going to try our best to win, but we might not win. And then on the other end, you know, Jalen and Jason aren't exactly you know the Draymonds of the world, where they're have you know, having their own podcasts and talking shit after every game. Like <laughs> it's it's a it's a very pure basketball yeah. rivalry, which I think is why a lot of um, a lot of people really enjoy this series. Um, but yeah, how do you feel about the rivalry between the Celtics and the Bucks, Ben?
4: Uh, well I will say on, on the point that you just made that Giannis is unfortunately nice. And uh, you know, I yeah. watched the, the Disney Giannis movie as I'm a sucker for yeah, off-season right. content. And that just made me like him more. I don't want to like him because on the court <laughs> and, and Z Gamer and um I Brian, I, I hope I'm saying that right, are calling out rightfully in the chat that Giannis um is egregious with his offense and his <laughs> movement on the court, and just going wherever he likes and knocking people over like bowling pins, getting to the hoop whenever he likes, um, and generally being you know very favorably treated by the refs. It's not a guy that you want to like, but he is such a likable person that makes the rivalry difficult to digest from my perspective because he is unfortunately, like I said, such a lovable player. With that said, Chris Middleton, on the other hand, ext- Extremely hateable, mostly because, again, of stuff that he's done on the court. Uh, uh my mind man. wanders back. Batman, <laughs> yeah. My mind wanders back to that, like what was it 0.5 <laughs> seconds to go in, was it game one or two oh of the 20, gosh. I want to say 2018 series? Yeah. Um that was painful. Jalen and,
3: get your hand up.
4: <laughs> yeah, right? Just do Come something, on. right? Yeah. Get Taco in to defend the inbounds. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that that was brutal. So uh there's there's been enough of a sample size of on court misbehavior, I want to say, from the Bucks now for me to genuinely despise them as a Celtics fan. And therefore, there's a hot, there's a hot rivalry in my belly. But off the court, I think there and this probably cascades down to the players and the, and the franchises themselves, as a healthy respect for one another that I don't think is synonymous with historic rivalries, if that makes sense. So it might, might be a rivalry in the making. Fans might be developing a healthy hatred for one another, but I don't think it's a classic rivalry yet. Uh, spoony thoughts
0: yeah uh, look it's coming if you just compare how much i hate the bucks to how much i hate kyrie irving there's just like <laughs> worlds <laughs> of difference man it's like not even the same emotion at that point it's like i think jake you nailed it it's like basketball hatred kyrie yeah, yeah. i'm like fuck that dude on a personal <laughs> level you know yes. what i mean <laughs> yeah. so it's not like that at all the bucks it's like you know, it's super heated, and then you like tip your cap, shake your hands, and yeah. like you know, let's go out for a beer later afterwards. So it's like all yeah. on the court with the Bucks, unlike with certain other uh, Nets players. Maybe a guy out in L.A. I'm not a big fan of. Uh, you know, so <laughs> I don't think it's it's not too too bad with the Bucks. I've always, like I said, respected and really liked Giannis. Unfortunately, uh, and uh, I Brian I, Breen put it perfect. I can't hate Chris Middleton just like I can't hate a tornado for tearing down my house. <laughs> he's a force of nature. True. That's exactly how it feels. Like, he's Self-ix not a human. <laughs> yeah, he's just like electrons that do stuff, and you can't stop them. So, yeah, I, I'm with you guys.
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, not, it's not like a Sixers rivalry where I, I might die if we lose to them in the playoffs kind of vibe you know like that's Mm. that's a dangerous time to be online when the Celtics (laughs) and the Sixers match up in the in the playoffs yes great Uh, segue speaking of yeah yeah speaking of which um who do we see as the main competition it kind of sounds like you've got the Bucs and the Celtics kind of in a tier at the top of the east um do you have do you have another team in the top tier or Celtics in the second tier and and who are the kind of the main competition to to get out of the east I'm I'm pretty
1: low Uh on uh (laughs) I'm pretty low on the heat and I'm pretty low on the yeah. Sixers, um, which to me are really the only like teams that you can make an argument that are big threats. Um, I To me, it's the Celtics and the Bucks. The, they're, they're one A and one B. I mean, the Bucks, yes, I, there's definitely an argument to put them, you know, a, a little notch above, um, which I think is fair. That's totally fair. Um, I'd say they're, you know, a bit more proven right now, if you want to use that word. Um, But like, the Sixers, to me, they're still very glaring issues. Yes, they have James Harden potentially coming coming back more healthy next year, which which is something, you know,
3: yeah, potentially maybe.
1: transformative. Um, Joel Embiid is Joel Embiid. We know what he's capable of. Um, but really, they're hinging a lot of their improvement on Tyrese Maxey getting better and propelling to, like, potentially all-star caliber play, which might happen. I don't know. Um, but Matisse Thibel, you know, you can't shoot the ball. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's, he'll play good defense. It's like, okay, cool. But, you know, he's scared to take a layup and he can't pass the ball. It's like, okay. Um, so, I don't know. It's just, it's one of those things where uh, it's hard for me to see an argument for any other team over those two. With the Heat, they have their own issues. It's like Jimmy Butler is Jimmy, Jimmy Butler. Like, we know he's a good player. Kyle Lowry is old. Bam out of bio. I think at this point, I like Bam out of bio a lot, but also at the same time, I'm like, to me, Bam Adebayo is what he is at this point. I don't see a ton of pathways to major additions to his game at this point. To me, he can get better at certain things that he already does, but I don't see him adding new things to his game to like make him some transformative player. Uh, and then, like, yeah, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, you know, Tyler Hero is an interesting six man, but I don't think he's going to like take your team over the top or anything. So. To me, it's Celtics Bucks at the top.
3: Yeah, I know a couple like Spoony, we're kind of high on the Sixers from a regular season point of view, definitely, but you're not high definitely. on their playoffs, right?
0: Yeah, I totally agree uh on that. I, I, I think MB just scares the absolute hell out of me. And <laughs> I think he can be the best player in a playoff series, even one with Giannis in it, frankly. Um, he may not be, but he has that potential. So that's what scares me. I think I'm higher on the Sixers than you are, Alex, but I'm with you on the heat like at some point Jimmy Butler's just not gonna be this guy anymore. um, I' maybe that's not next year. Lowry looked cooked absolutely cooked. uh and yeah, I'm with you. Rob Williams ate Bam's lunch. If you look at his stats yeah. when Rob played versus when mm-hmm. he did not play, at least from a Celtics perspective, I am not afraid of bam out of bio if Rob Williams is healthy. and I think probably. The Bucs probably feel the same way. Like Giannis is kind of like Rob defensively. He's probably better than Rob or uh and they're similar type defenders. So I doubt Bucks fans are real scared of Bam at bio. And then other than that, like PJ Tucker was really good for them. And they yeah, just man did nothing to they have nobody they don't have a power forward on the roster I mean if it's like Haywood Highsmith who I believe is an actual guy that's real but uh, no one's seen him play yet uh, so I uh, I mean I just yeah I'm with you Alex I do not see it with the heat next year but I was also saying that before this past season too so I mean it's I guess part of me is like it's still proven otherwise maybe I should respect them but I don't
3: yeah, I mean, ask the Bucks how they felt about not having P.J. Tucker came, come playoff time. Like he just, yeah, like Al Horford, is able to keep doing it late into their 30s. Um, and as a man is still doing it late into their 30s, Ben. Um, do you have any issues? Um, <laughs> any issues he says I'm doing anything.
4: <laughs> You're doing You're great. Right about me. You're right about me being late into my 30s. You're wrong about me doing anything. <laughs> Uh, for me, the the reemerging threat really is the Nets, which we we haven't really spoken about mm. in too much detail since they, I guess, I don't know if getting the band back together is the right term. Um, it's not back but,
3: together, that's for sure.
4: But they've like, they've booked studio space, they're tuning up yeah. their instruments, they're, they're getting ready to get the band back together, as far as the agents are reporting. They're held and at
0: gunpoint by their agents, yeah.
4: Correct, correct. So, I mean, they're probably, right, a threat, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving- Ben Simmons. Any any talk about the Nets from me or anyone is highly speculative at this point. But we can reasonably speculate that they will be maybe not in that first tier, but in tier two or the higher point of tier three as far as being threats uh, to competition in the East. So um, definitely a little bit terrified. And we talked about the um, against Al Horford revenge tour from the Bucks perspective. The Nets. You know, have got to have one out for the Celtics after how we we handled them in in round one of the finals of the the playoffs, rather uh, earlier this year. You know, if I were Nets fans, if I was Kevin Durant, who's like capable of ex- actually like executing on a revenge plan, not to mention Kyrie Irving, that that's a very scary thought to me. So I'm um, not looking forward to facing them in the regular yeah. season or the playoffs. That said. Game one against that team for well, either the Bucks or the Celtics will be very telling. Like, if we handle them and everything is like as business as usual um, from what we've grown used to with the playoffs, then I'll feel a lot better about subsequent games against the Nets. Um, but that first game and that uh, initial seeking of revenge from Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving uh, terrifies me. So we'll see.
3: I I just don't know if that team has like the revenge rip your head off gene. Like, Kyrie Irving's like, thinking about other stuff, Ben to. They're going have they have to definitely to haven't have that. Otherwise, they don't stand a chance. I've been talking about psychoanalyzing Ben Simmons since he's gotten in the league because he was supposed to be the, the <laughs> boomers be like <laughs> thing. Like that, it they don't, they don't have that that like that Giannis gene that that rip your head off mentality. Maybe Duran has it in like his own easy money sniper type of way, but it's 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 not the it's not a scary type of like. If I hear that the the Nets are out for revenge, I'm not like s- scared. You know, I'm like they might hit a couple of shots and then we'll over overpower them over, over a series. I think that will do us today, Alex, you've been an absolute legend, um, for hopping on with us. Tell the, tell the people where we can find you. He's got awesome, awesome content all over the internet.
1: Uh, Yeah. You can follow me on Twitter, uh, at Alex hoops, uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel, Alex hoops. Thank you guys so much for having me on had an absolute blast. Uh, really appreciate it. Thank you.
3: Awesome. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Spoonie and everyone in the chat. Really appreciate you guys stopping by. Talk to you soon. Peace.